right, well, hello, everybody. I'm Damian Smith, aka Legendary Black Lion. Basically, on all social media platforms, you can follow my handle at Legendary Black Lion. Uh, find me on TikTok and Instagram. I'm a, I'm a sci-fi enthusiast, and hopefully we have a lot of fun doing this. I, I, I think we will. What's up? I'm Mel, um, author of Theory of Rebellion and soon to be many more books. You can find me at Mel's Rebellion, and I've always loved sci-fi. I'm writing sci-fi, and uh, I love storytelling and anthropology, and I can't wait to um, start chatting with friends. Hey, everyone. I'm Rod, and I am the host of I Am Sci-Fi Podcast. And also the founder of The Seventh Matrix. And the podcast and the website explores independent sci-fi and fantasy short films, web series, and other closely related media. And also on the podcast, I also have the opportunity to talk with a lot of the talented independent filmmakers who produce that media. And I am also a lifelong, and I'm going to steal from Damien, enthusiast <laughs> of science fiction <laughs> and fantasy. Um, and so, and uh, I, I'm just looking forward to this conversation and us taking a deeper dive into one of my favorite science fiction television series, Babylon 5. You can find me on social media. I'm on TikTok at um, Ion Sci-Fi Podcast, and I'm on um, Instagram at The Seventh Matrix. I have two guests with us. One is kind of who I was hoping would um we could kind of experience this all together through the lens of uh we'll come to her momentarily but i also invited uh my partner her name is sunday sunday can you introduce yourself to the group hello it yeah just is my pleasure to be your partner my name is sunday and on instagram you can find casey Dangang. I guess that's the closest thing that I have. I'm not very present um, on social media, so forgive me. But if you want to see cute pictures of my dogs, then that's where you can find them. Um, myself, I would say that I definitely enjoy sci-fi, but I am not, oh man, very versed in it. I'm really new to that spectrum um, of content where I'm like really getting into it and able to have uh, intelligent conversation about it. But since I have been watching different shows and things, I really like to watch the same thing multiple times and then apply it to like current life situations and perspectives. So I am really excited to be here with people who are a little more versed so when I put my spin on things, I'm able to pick the minds of people who really understand what I'm watching and not trying to explain what I'm watching and then check for understanding. So I'm just geeking out right now. Thank you guys for having me. Um, Nita, Nita, are, are you able to do a quick intro? Hi there. My name is Nita. I am a painter. People call me Nita Painter. And on all the social media, I am Nita Painter. There's a lot of background noise because... I'm out here living my best life at this Juneteenth event. And when I am done cleaning up, I will be so present for you guys. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Thank you, Nita. Now, there's something that I wanted to touch, that I want to get back, uh, refer back to. So so Rod was saying, um, he's, in, he's a sci-fi enthusiast. I said the same thing. And that's just because um, I was having fun on TikTok. 
we have all of these fandoms uh and you basically people have been building like entire platforms on their fandom but uh correct me if i'm if i'm wrong you are, you guys maybe if i'm seeing it the wrong way but often fandoms quickly turn toxic and they're they end up being gatekeepers gatekeepers to the point where fans of media will challenge the creators of media and either refuse to acknowledge or completely reject new iterations in a in an IP. And the way I look at it, like, if I'm going to be into something, I want to have fun with it. One example is Star Wars. How many of you all enjoy Star Wars? Absolutely. Well, I did. Let me, let me, let me rephrase. I did enjoy Star Wars. Okay. I do enjoy Star Wars um, from a writer's perspective. Um, I like the intricacy of it and finding little clues and hidden messages and stuff. <laughs> and then it actually being wove together to uh, pretty much work. And uh, mostly. <laughs> I think you were explaining that during one of your lives. It was it was kind of cool to hear your perspective because I, li- I often hear, especially people who call themselves Star Wars fans, they hate Star Wars the most. And it is difficult. Like, how do you get someone to who is completely new, uninitiated? How do you get a, a new person to get an introduction to your media? Right. You know, the thing that you're a fan of. And I don't think hating on it is the best way. Now, criticism is great. Criticism is useful and it's warranted in many cases. And, you know, I've seen how people are criticizing Disney and what they're doing with Star Wars. But oftentimes they run people away. And I don't know about you all, me being a sci-fi enthusiast, and um, especially during my teenage years, it was difficult to get people to understand what it was, what, it, what it was I was watching and reading, why I liked it, and you know why it was so cool. So to me, an enthusiast is a person who will like their thing and invite other people to like it too or introduce it to people and fans they 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 feel they seem like they enter a battle royale of who is the biggest fan the best fan who knows the most and it can it can actually turn people away i altered my language to say i'm an enthusiast and i think we can you know for whomever it helps we can find like a healthy way to Bring people in. Thank you so much. And I appreciate that breakdown, uh, Damian, because I didn't know what enthusiast was when the two of you said it. And that's all I do. Uh, find people, have a conversation and be like, oh, you would love the Orville. Or find people and their conversation is like, oh, have you seen Discovery? And I'm willing to rewatch the same series of stuff over and over again if I just have a new person to watch it with so that I can dig into their conversation. And each time I'm seeing something new, I'm getting a new understanding, and it's just the highlight of my life, um, being able to choose when to watch what to watch um, in the streaming era that we're in and not having to like have programmed television decide when and what I do with my time. Well, I just wanted to say um, I appreciate Damian being so gracious to let me steal from him <laughs> that terminology of enthusiast. We were talking about it um, the last time we spoke. 
But what really resonated <clears throat> with me about that term enthusiast instead of a fan is fan is, is taken from the word fanatical. And what I have seen in pop culture that has evolved over the decades is that people tend to, if they love something, let's take Star Wars. Um, they enjoy it and they love it, but they tend to get precious about it and they tend to feel like they actually own it. And unfortunately, we live in an era where racism um, is woven within the fabric of the United States, as well as misogyny and all the other isms. And that also affects fandom. And given social media now that we're online, they might they may be a minute segment of fandom, but they have the loudest voice. And that really has served to turn a lot of people away. Um, one of the interesting conversations I see going on in Star Wars fandom specifically is how many um, quote unquote fanboys really spew a lot of vitriol towards Kathleen Kennedy. And she is not someone who's just new to the world of filmmaking. She's responsible, if you look at her IMDb credits, for so many seminal films. And even though um, the direction like of the recent Star Wars sequels, many fans didn't like it, they now act as though she doesn't know what she's doing. And then, of course, you have the racist backlash that John Boyega and um, Moses Ingram and Rose Tico faced. So all of that gives these fandoms a very unattractive look. And it's the same thing with Lord of the Rings when they introduced the uh, black characters and the characters of color in that Rings of Power Amazon show. Uh, the same thing, again, mentioning Moses Ingram with um, Obi-Wan and all of the racist backlash that she's gotten. So I've, I, I tended to take a step back from that. Um, I think it's sad what's happening with all the toxicity and fandom, but I think that the best thing we can do is have conversations like this podcast that I'm very excited for. And I'm very excited for uh, Sunday's participation because with B5, she's never seen it. And it's just always great to watch someone experience something that you enjoyed for the first time and to get their insights and their perspective. A lot of the, uh, a lot of what you pointed out as far as like, the way that these fandoms turn is really discouraging because they turn inward. If we look at mainstream media, right? So many people are finally having their thing being highlighted and then they suddenly don't want more people to enjoy it. Just, you know, just the way things operate in, in our society, you, you would think you want more people to like it. So the studios can get the message that, Hey, we should probably make more of this. Right. And that's just not what's happening in fandoms. In fact, some fandoms are turning to the point where they're like, forget it. We're going to write our own Star Wars stories or we're going to write our own Marvel stories. And what the people who own it do doesn't matter anymore. Well, something that's also um, very disturbing that's happening with speculative media and these intellectual properties like Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings and so many others is that that vocal minority of fandom that is toxic, that is misogynist, that is racist. We now have media companies like Warner Brothers Discovery that are mm. owned by white right-wing leaning billionaires. 
And Wonder Brothers Discovery has come out and said, we're going to focus on, quote, unquote, middle Middle America. America. Yeah. And we all know that's code (laughs) for, we all know what that's code for. So, you know, they canceled, like, the Batgirl film that starred um, a woman of color. They canceled that after it was completed. Brendan Fraser was part of the cast, and they spent $100 million on that. Oh, they canceled I, it, but it's very interesting that they still went full steam ahead with The Flash with Ezra Miller, who is problematic on so many different levels. Yeah. So you can already see this kind of sea change because, again, this vocal, toxic segment of fandom voiced their displeasure. That What do you mean that there's somebody black in The Lord of the Rings? How dare they put a black person in Lord of the Rings <laughs> with my dragons and my wizards and my magic spells and so forth? Same well, there thing, were no I, black people back then, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there were no black people in, 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 yeah, in medieval Europe. You all just sprang up out of the ground about 450 years ago so we can play <laughs> It's really insane. And the same thing with Star Wars. They had a problem when John Boyega, I remember when that promo picture came out of him with the um, Stormtrooper outfit on, but he didn't have his helmet on and somebody superimposed an ape on top of that. And that's only part of what he went through internally. uh, He was promised that his character would have more of an integral role in those sequel films. And then they did not do it. Yeah. So um, that's a big problem that we have. And, and as black fans of science fiction and fantasy and members of other marginalized groups, we just have to really voice our displeasure and insist on being represented. And we need to support projects like Males and Author. Um, I read mainly sci-fi and fantasy novels by black authors. I, I have stopped reading books by white authors and there is plenty. I haven't run out of any books to read in science fiction and fantasy. That's just a personal choice of mine, but we just have to show them that this is the type of representation that we want. And that's what we deserve. And um, again, just let our voices be heard as well. I'll now, my soapbox now. Oh, no problem. <laughs> now um, I'm glad that you um you said something cuz what i think might be a good thing of our podcast of this show is we can dig into some of the politics of science fiction um which i think is mostly the point of it to you know to, to have discussions about um the social relations between humans and the various divisions that we've placed ourselves in right and sci-fi is a wonderful medium to to have those discussions. Uh, and along, just to be specific about Babylon 5, they do have that discussion throughout the entire series in so many cool different ways. Um, to kind of get us back on track with, um, you know, just kind of having fun here, uh, I wanted to ask you all... Um, since we are all enthusiasts, you know, uh, fans, you know, put those in parentheses, um, <laughs> for, for the folks that have watched Babylon five, uh, especially when it first aired about how many times do you find yourselves rewatching the show? Um, my first time watching it, I was pretty young, maybe like seven or eight. I watched it with my dad. And um, 
I, I, those were some of the deepest conversations that I had with him. Like he was always lecturing and going off. He loves religion and, and points of view, but that was the first time that I could have something to go by to talk to him about being so young and inexperienced in life. Um, <laughs> I watched it again, I think in my twenties and like, um, some parts of it kind of brought me to some happy tears because I remembered having those conversations with my dad and being just validated in my feelings about um, interacting with other people and race relations. And because race relations didn't really make sense to me when I was like a small child. And I went to, uh, I started school off in a pretty much white um, environment. But at that age, like, it was either you like Rainbow Bright or Hello Kitty, and I like both, so I fit in. And this, we didn't have those racial issues. Um, so seeing that, and I knew that they existed, being um, raised in the nation of Islam and being around Christianity, or so many, I did really have a lot of point of view from trying to see all these different parts come together somehow and have conflict, but then... Um, didn't have as much as the reasoning to go by. So it was a nice little tool for me to use to have those deep conversations with him. You know, that's interesting. Uh, just given the nature of J. J. Michael Straczynski's content, um, if you've watched Babylon 5 along with any of his other shows, he definitely has a Doubting God monologue somewhere. Um, I believe, oh man, I can't remember the name of the other show that he, it was, uh, Luke Perry and Michael Jamal Warner. Can't remember the name of the show, but there's always a monologue. Jericho, I believe. Is that, is that what it was? Okay. I was going to say Jericho, but I was like, I know I'm wrong, (laughs) but, um, he often has that. And it's very interesting because I think he is definitely, he, he tries to put his foot down as being like, a strict secularist, but he's like, okay, I'm going to have to deal with religious people and the topic of religion and society is currently wrestling with this. So I, you know, I'd be very interested to hear hear your uh, perspectives that as, as those episodes come forward, uh, Mel, because the way that he handles religion is not as dismissive as how other, um, atheist or secularist uh, writers are, but he does, he does have a character who's mad at God. <laughs> he he always has the mad at God character. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have a lot of, like anthropology is one of my special interests. So um, looking at how they interact, what they have in common, um, Actually, I happen to be inventing a religion for the book that I'm working on. So um, this is fun for me. Um, I I really feel strongly about if someone has a point of view or religion, a philosophy, if it works for them to make them a better person, then do it. But then sometimes people use religion. It's a tool. It really is. So you can use that tool to create and be better, or you can use that tool to be destructive and just <laughs> not be helpful at all. Um, it, it's. I was actually just thinking earlier about how people, uh, they manifest what 
it what you are. So if you're looking to be angry at someone and you go to the Bible for answers, you're going to find answers for why you're angry at them and maybe even validate it. Whereas there's other people who are looking for joy and go to the Bible and find joy. So um, it's not that the one tool is going to give you what you want. Uh, if you suck at using a tool, it's not going to make you what you want. That's a that's a good point. Um, how about how about you, Rod? How many times did you find yourself rewatching Babylon Five? I am, I believe, a bit older than everyone here. So when Babylon Five first was released uh, on television, I think it was The Gathering came out in 1992. So I was 22. I had already graduated college and was in the working world in corporate America. And when I watched it. What really struck me and my friends, because we used to watch it together, was just how sophisticated uh, Straczynski's writing was and how he didn't shy away from the realities of what would happen if you have all of these different alien beings together on this space station that also represents different cultures. And of course, the aliens could be seen as a metaphor for cultural and race relations here in the real world. But it's sci-fi set in the 23rd century, so it was distant enough that it wouldn't wrinkle people's feathers, but that he would use that setting in order to talk about, you know, as Mel was talking about, differences in religion and how people view it and use it. And he had, of course, people who were spiritual and I'm a spiritual person. So they resonated with me. Then he had people who were more agnostic Then he had atheists, but I did appreciate, and I agree with your point that you made about how he wrote characters who had differing opinions about religion. He was respectful of everyone's beliefs. A lot of writing when it comes to spirituality, and um, I don't, spirituality is different from religion, and many people don't get that distinction, but the way that he dealt with people who had def- really strong spiritual belief, like Minbar and Delin and some of the others, it was with respect, and he also respected the other point of view, but then he was able to show how those beliefs can contradict and also how they can be cooperative. You don't see that a lot in writing. Those two don't mutually have to be at odds, science and spirituality. So that's something that really attracted me to the show, and then the cast was phenomenal. So I have watched Babylon 5 probably dozens of times. Since it first debuted, I used to rewatch the entire series when it was completed. Um, after 1998, I used to rewatch it every year on DVD. And um, I just always enjoyed it. You know, the CGI, they were pioneering and using CGI effects at the time. There was no other show that was creating space vistas and spaceships using CGI. It was a brand new technology. So when it first debuted, it was cutting edge and it looked that way. But it's been 25 years since the show has gone off the air. And even though it's been remastered and is available on streaming platforms, they've tried to clean it up, but the CGI still looks dated because it is. But what isn't dated is the writing, the characterizations, and those outstanding performances. So every time I rewatch Babylon 5, I find something new um, in the character interactions and what 
JMS was trying to say with the show. And it's always a joy and a pleasure to watch it because I really appreciate that it was also a novel. It has a definitive beginning, middle, and end. And that was also when it first debuted, unheard of. Now serialized dramas are a dime a dozen. That wasn't common back in the 90s when it came out. Most shows were episodic and they reset themselves after each episode. This was something that was entirely new. Yeah, a lot of the shows were the objective was uh, syndication. So, right. you know, they would make their money, their initial money off of their parent network, and then they would hope to sell it to uh, smaller networks and just keep making money. And I appreciated Babylon 5 being um, being serialized because if you missed an episode, it would eventually come back and you would figure out what part of the story it connected to. And right. I absolutely loved it. I, you know, I couldn't wait until the next episode. And I like, I also like um, the replays because I can go back. I'm like, you know what? I didn't notice that part until I saw this episode. And now, you know, I'm able to enjoy it even more. Exactly. And what many people don't know is that Babylon 5 was in constant danger of being canceled. Every season that it would return was a miracle. And the fourth season, when we get to it, it will seem like an ending because it was designed to be the show's ending, even though JMS had a five-year plan. And when it was unexpectedly renewed for the fifth and final season, he had to go back and kind of reconfigure because a lot of the storylines he had originally um, intended to wrap up in the fifth season, he did in the fourth so when the fifth season came out, that's one of the seasons that I think is uh, most criticized by the fans. But that's why, because they got a fifth season and they weren't expecting it. You know, I so I, I recently completed a, a watch through and um, I did the same thing. I saw season four and I was like, this is perfect. Why is there a season five? Exactly. But when you do watch season five, you realize like, mm-hmm. man. J. Michael Straczynski knew how to dig even deeper into the lore that he created to tell even richer stories. And I think that's just like a, a, a special feat, you know, a lot of times, and we're kind of experiencing this with Marvel where you do have like this deep, rich world that's been built but sometimes the stories that they try to dig out are not so deep anymore. And, right. you know, there's a lot of reasons behind why, but I think um, for J. Michael Straczynski and the creators of Babylon 5, they took very good care. <clears throat> they took very good care of the stories that were being told. They were, they had messages that they wanted to explore. And, you know, again, if they were given the opportunity by, uh, by the by the studios then they took it um i recently watched kind of like not really like a making of but just kind of a a featurette that explained the um the the graphics the cgi the special effects and when you when you watch it and i'm gonna see if i can find the name of it so i can share it with you all but um when you watch it you start to realize like you know what they did a they did a smart thing. So the the objective was to make the world seem so much bigger. The universe that they were in is this vast universe. But, you know, the the interior sets are 
you know, these tight corridors. And then, you know, all the different character that the station has. But when you leave the station, it's supposed to be this wide open universe. And the way that they did it actually did, um, it saved them money the way that they did it, even though, you know, CG at the time was still pretty expensive. But watching it, there's a certain charm that it has because I remember, like, you didn't have any have anything like that on television uh, at that time. And anything that came close was pretty hokey, you know? Yeah. It would yes. pull you out. But Babylon 5's special effects didn't pull you out of the story. It kind of, like, told its own story, which I think you know, very much uh, complimented what was going on. And speaking to the writing, too, mm. uh, J. Michael Straczynski created Babylon 5, and he wrote most of the episodes. And that is something that is very uncommon. I think Neil Gaiman wrote an episode, and there were a couple of other writers, but he conceived the show and wrote all of the episodes, and that continuity is so tight, and that is why. And uh, I still just kind of uh, am astonished that he was able to do that, especially this is back when television episodes were 22, 23, 24 episodes each season. Not like with streaming what we have now today where you might get 10 episodes of a show, maybe 13. I thought it was uh, kind of metaphorical to have such a wide universe and then all these people kind of crammed into a spaceship and do a sardine can (laughs) yeah and like it their mental state and in many um situations were very um they were very internal about how they saw this vast universe and so seeing them in their small little areas and them um expressing how they felt about uh, the universe is so small, whereas it, in comparison to how wide and how vast things are, uh, it, it seemed kind of pathetic. Like maybe because I was a kid, it's like, but you have all this space, you have all these things to learn, and you're still like in your head about whatever little thing that your your little agenda is compared to the whole universe, like wow. or that galaxy. Yeah, so it gave you for me, it gave that visual. Of I'm in my little space, and then, but you're not like. <laughs> but when you look at it, that's probably what would happen. You have all of these different factions that are on board the space station that was created in order to foster cooperation between different alien species, different cultures, but. I love the way that JMS showed in his writing that despite that, you still have political intrigue, especially with the uh, Centauri Empire. There was this vast galactic spanning empire that when we are introduced to them at the beginning of Babylon 5, they are in decline. And you have them trying to regain their quote unquote former glory. And then you have corporate interest that are also involved throughout Babylon 5. And all of that felt, it was futuristic, but it felt very real and very Very familiar. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what resonated with a lot of people because the technology wasn't pristine. It wasn't sleek. The the space station broke down. 
Um, they had constant repairs. People would complain about their quarter smell. They would complain about, hey, we're the ambassador of this planet. Why are our quarters smaller than our rivals over here? And to me, that felt very, very real. There was a very similitude to all of that that made that show work. Yeah. All right. Um, I think we're about halfway to our goal today, but I wanted to I wanted to get uh, some input from Nita and Sunday. Uh, for either of you, is there a piece of media that you have repeatedly revisited, rewatched? You know, what's what are your favorite things? Well, at the moment, um, I can't get enough of the Orville, um, and. Star Trek Discovery, I'm really, really into it. Having a female black lead is all the things. And I think my introduction to Star Trek was a female lead through Voyager. And I don't I don't know if it's like subconsciously I'm being drawn to this content because of that, but it's it's just it seems as if once I decide I like something, it's like, oh, the lead of this <laughs> is a woman. And and I think that that's cool. I just recently started Progeny. Is that what it's called? Uh, uh, from the pro- beginning. Prodigy. 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 Thank yeah. He, the, My uh, bad, the, y'all. The villain character calls his daughter his progeny. And yeah, I can. That mistake is easy to make. Understood. So, um, having found that Janeway is also in that was just like, oh, that's so cute. I just love Janeway so much. So, those are the things that I am currently rewatching. Um, but I am not beyond watching uh, The Matrix over and over and over and over and over again. Um, that's some of my old favorites before I got um, into the Star Trek stuff, which is all your fault. And I am complete. Uh, I don't take the full blame for that. I don't know. What were you going to say, Nita? So the piece of media that I have been rewatching recently is Cloudy with the Chance of Meatballs 2. (laughs) <laughs> I really enjoy the um, little tidbits of information that I keep finding every time I watch. Like, I know that the USB was called the BSUSB, but I understand that it is a bologna sandwich USB. Um, and I thought it was hilarious the fourth time that I watched Cloudy with a chance of meatballs too and realized it. And then I got to laugh a second time that I didn't realize it the first time. Um, and like the Sioux sheep, I think it's just so cute. So I really enjoy um, tricks play, like when people play on words and things like that. And once I notice that, oh, that was a play on words, I will want to watch it again and again to see how many other um, what are they called? Double entendres are, are thrown into uh, the show. So it's not along the lines of anything that you guys have mentioned so far, but it is something that I am watching on repeat right now. That's that's great, Nita. And 
again, what I what my hope is like when we're when we're doing our watch parties and going through each of the episodes of Babylon Five, I'm really interested in your your point of view. So Sunday and I we um we met Nita and introduced her. Was it to the Orville first or was it to Star Trek Discovery? It was to Spock. Discovery. Got it. <laughs> no, it wasn't Spock. It was Strange New Worlds. Oh, oh yes. Strange New Worlds and then Discovery and then Orville. Because uh, I believe I believe you all binged all of those and um, I think Discovery has the most episodes of those series. I yeah. I think so. Yeah, Discovery uh, was introduced. I think it debuted in 2017, I think. Yeah. And they have a fifth season coming up that will be their final season. Well, I would I say unfortunately. I was enjoying Discovery. I, it was I cool. agree. It's my favorite out of the spinoff shows because of Sonequa Martin-Green. It is yeah. fantastic. Oh, I um, that's one of the the things that I was mentioning earlier, and how I find in real life stuff that is on the show, and then I'm able to connect these dots. Um, Nita, the way she says Spock so affectionately, uh, would you like to share how that came to be, or should I? I want to hear what it was from your perspective. This is so okay. cool. Sorry, y'all. I'm nerding out right now. This is cool. <laughs> That's okay, love. So uh, Nita and I, we met on another platform. I guess I probably, I don't know if I should be naming it, but it's whatever. We met on another vocal platform, and we were talking to each other and a lot of other people every day for long, long periods of time. And Nita tends to... Fall into dynamics with other humans that make her look problematic. Yeah. And so she is constantly defending herself um, with other humans because of her social interactions with them. And she, at the time, was very perplexed as to why she was having these struggles. And so there was an occasion where I was present with a group of people who wanted to like pitchfork and, you know, roast her at a stake. And I'm just like, Nita is the dumbest person on the planet. What is wrong with y'all? Let me help you understand. And in the, in the conflict and me being the mediating role, I found out that Nita was Vulcan and I was like, yo, do you know what Star Trek is? And she's like, no. I'm like, well, you need to. Because I think your problem is that you're Vulcan trying to coexist with humans. And you don't even know who you are. And that is why you're struggling. Can you explain <laughs> what that means? Uh, just so our listeners can understand what you're saying. Absolutely. Um, I think this might be a good place for you, Nita, to come along and share your perspective of what it's like being Vulcan. So my understanding of a Vulcan is that they are a species of humans, or not humans, a humanoid, is that what it's called? Um, where they're, they do away 
with their emotions and they engage with their surroundings with logic. And uh, because emotions, they be getting you into tight squeezes sometimes, but you just do the logical thing. You know, Um, if someone asks you a question, you answer the question that was asked with facts. And I get into the trouble where people would ask me a question and they say that my answers are cold and without emotion. And I'm just like, okay. (laughs) Um, And then I, and yeah, like find myself in, in these spats because I am Vulcan and I didn't know what she was talking about at the time. So she says, I'm going to introduce you into a really awesome show. And the first episode was between Spock and his, were they engaged at the time? They weren't yet married, but his partner. Yes, Supreme. Yes, Supreme. And they were talking and I was just so engaged and very excited about their interaction. And um, yes, and they was like, yeah, that's you. That's Spock. He's a Vulcan, but he's actually half Vulcan half human so he does play around with his emotions a little bit um definitely more than other Vulcans but I related to him so much and I instantly fell in love and wanted to see um more of him and and just see how he deals with other people and and what were his decisions and things like that um I yeah I love him and I love if Isaac. I re- if I recall correctly, yeah, I love Isaac too. After we watched that first episode, you you brought me to tears. I'm about to cry now remembering it. Because um, you have said that no matter how many black faces you saw on TV, how many female faces you saw on TV, people's attempts to to represent you have failed until you saw Spock and that you finally, you know, had felt seen in the media's eye. And yes. I just thought that was beautiful. Yes. The, that was a kind of representation that I had never experienced before. And for, for a while, I thought something was incorrect about my feelings um and i i am very well uh i guess uh embedded into like the civil rights sector at least here in in my hometown um and we talk about representation a lot like in in the classroom i'm mostly involved with education but like in the classroom and workspaces and politics and the thing that they talk about is race or ethnicity ethnic background um and gender and i'm like yeah that's cool and all i love that but just something's i don't know i don't care i i care but it it didn't it wasn't relevant to me it felt and so i was i i think i know the reason why i was so engulfed um just from that first episode is because I'm like, finally, there is representation of Nita. And this person is not just 
representing me, but it's someone that people value. They love Spock on this show. He is um, a very important piece of the series. And I'm getting goosebumps because so many times, even recently in my waking life, the things that differ Spock from other people are the things that people keep telling me I need to turn off and I need to fix and is not like a valued characteristic. So when I see Spock and I see him being me or when I see even Michael and I'm like, yo, that's me and they're doing the things and they are encouraged to continue to do those things because they, because people do see the value. So it really is reassuring that um, I am not broken. There is not something incorrect about me. I am just different. The end. So, I <laughs> so I want, I'm, uh, I'm glad that you share that because there's also kind of like people are making connections with uh, neurodiversity and people's attraction to Star Trek. And uh, like, I think there's a whole community on TikTok that that's how they just talk about that. And it's, it becomes, or it's become part of an indicator that you may be neurodivergent depending on like how you engage with Star Trek. I think that's pretty cool. And, and yes, you're, you're correct. Representation is important. I think, um, Star Trek does a very good job. It it always has. It you know it's gotten better, um, and I think it's getting better. Um, just to kind of take a short little rabbit trail, I do see New Trek kind of trying a lot of different things. The way I see, um, sh- not Strange New Worlds. So the way I see Discovery is kind of like the superhero Star Trek. And I think uh, Strange New Worlds is kind of like a throwback to old Trek, but um, still lots of really good stories, amazing representation. Um, when you were telling the story about how you were introduced to Spock, um, my first Star Trek was Next Generation, and that's how I felt about Data. And um, it was like, I didn't know why I couldn't navigate the world. And then I see him like literally trying to navigate and understand people. Whereas like, I didn't know where I wasn't understanding people, but he literally does it. And um, Star Trek has a theme of doing that. Like um, Spock was the first one, then Data, then Seven of Nine. Then um, every Star Trek has that character that's not quite human, but it's still kind of human. And um, they're and you know, exactly what you said. He, they're valued. Um, they're valued so much for what they can do, um, and not put down for what they 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 feel is wrong about themselves or can't do. And there's so many different ways. And um, but uh, I forgot the name of the character from Discovery. Um, like um, our main character, Michael, she does because she's grown up Vulcan. But you also have the other guy whose name I don't remember. A really tall alien. Um, to me, he felt like the one who he, he knew that he, he knew in his heart, he wasn't good enough until he found out what his gift was and that he could have confidence and that it was mostly a social construct that kept him from 
being the best that he could. And like, I cried. I. <laughs> it's just the representation, not just in the the visual and your genetics, but the representation of mental states. Like I even joked, and I don't know if anyone else agrees with me, that Worf is kind of like the representation of ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> well, Worf and Jordy. Uh, I'm sitting here having to confine myself around these little humans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would agree. I think, like, the whole um, bridge crew on Next Generation is somewhere on that spectrum. You know? Because when they have their um, individual episodes, you see some familiar traits, you know, you know what I mean? Absolutely. You know, speaking of next generation and, and characters that we identify with, the character that I identified with the most, and he was introduced, I think, in the second season of Next Generation, but uh, Lieutenant Barclay in engineering. And the reason for that is because the bridge crew of the Enterprise, they are competent and capable in what they do and very self-assured. Barclay is very intelligent, but he's not that self-assured. And it exhibits itself in social awkwardness. Now, I'm not as socially awkward as he is, but I'm a tad bit awkward. And so when I saw his character and how he was trying to find his place in Jordy's engineering staff and finding confidence in himself. And Jordy was trying to bring that out in him. I really could relate to that. So representation matters y'all. And let's not forget that Barkley not only saved uh, the enterprise crew multiple times, but he also saved Voyager as well. He sure did. Yeah, he sure did. (laughs) He sure did. So Babylon five, it's an American space opera television series created by writer and producer J. Michael Straczynski under the Babylonian Productions label in association with Straczynski's Synthetic Worlds Limited. So the series follows the human military staff and alien diplomats stationed on a space station called Babylon 5, built in the aftermath of several major interspecies wars as a neutral ground for galactic diplomacy and trade. There are so many different alien species. I think they actually go even further than what uh, Star Trek did as far as like depicting aliens on screen. Um, they they go pretty far with the um, political relations. Um, they also discuss a lot more of culture. For instance, um, in our discussion about uh, religion and the religious groups, I think the Minbari are a prime example of how, you know, you have this religious group, they're very religious, um, but they also play a central role in just the entire series. And um, for for a short period of time, I was like, oh, they're like the Vulcans. But and then I was like, no, they're something completely different. And um, And I think it's really interesting the way that they explore those characters and those worlds um religion does get explored quite a bit um and again not too many spoilers but i like where dr franklin um discusses his religious beliefs uh i found that very interesting and then he goes on to kind of like you know act those out throughout this throughout the series 
Um, are there any parts of the story, non-spoiler, that um, do you, you all would like to just kind of throw out there, highlight, build some hype for Anita and Sunday? The Shadow War. Oh, yeah. I like that. You'll see suspense. The Shadow War at the end. <laughs> I think um, the, the psychics give a nice uh, perspective on different points of view. And the point of view of how they have a brighter point of view and the fear that other people have of it ties into me with neurodivergence because um, we can pattern recognize. We see more than other people and people are scared of us for it, at least from a lot of people's perspective. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. They do an amazing job in introducing the psychics in, in such a way to make Psychics first come across as being uh, characters you are fearful of, but ultimately they become like some of the most sympathetic characters. Uh, What we can look forward to, honestly, a very well knitted together story, uh, beginning to end. Definitely rich in content, seeing it's uh, 22 episodes uh, per season. Plus there's a lot made for TV movies and there's even more content coming out. There's actually a new Babylon 5 animated cartoon coming out. Uh, here in a few months. So excited for that. August 14th or 15th, according to uh, Straczynski. It's going to be available via most streaming platforms. It's available for pre-order, I know, on Amazon Prime Video and I think Vudu, but it will be on Apple TV+. And also they're going to release um, Ultra 4K Super Duper (laughs) HD Blu-rays as well. Wow. That's... That's awesome. Um, And I believe still in the works is a reimagining or a remake of the B5 series. Um, I know that Straczynski has given interviews about it. Um, They were going to they were going to do a test pilot for CW, but with all of the shuffling around at Warner Brothers, I'm not very. Oh, and the writer's strike. Yes, that's correct. I'm not terribly confident that um, what they're doing will come out when they say it comes out, but um, but one as a as an enthusiast of B five, I'm glad that they're revisiting this uh, series because this is pretty pretty much one of the I would say one of the biggest ones that hasn't had like a continuation or a remake in such a long time. There is a great article in The Verge. Dot com about uh, both the animated film Babylon 5 The Road Home and also the live action reboot. The sole reason I'm excited about the reboot is because JMS is involved. He is writing it. He is creating it. If he were not involved, I wouldn't even bother. Um, <laughs> and he said that it's going to be just like how that reimagined Battlestar Galactica was. It's not going to be a continuation. It's not going to be a sequel. It's going to have a lot of the familiar bones of the original show and many of the characters, but it's going to be remixed because he said he's grown since as a writer and he wants to try his hand at taking a stab at what society may look like even further out mm. in this show. So I'm very excited for it. If hopefully the writer's strike will resolve itself and they pay them and the writers get everything they're asking for, 
And um, he said that in this interview in The Verge, the current regime at the CW are big fans of Babylon 5, unlike the previous regime. You know, they had butted heads and he was not interested in working with them. And so that's why we hadn't had any more films or spinoffs. So now, evidently, the people who are in charge of programming and greenlighting the project at the CW, they according to his words, are very big fans and are very supportive of this reboot. Wow. So that 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 gives me some um some a little bit more optimism. Cause it, you know, hearing the CW kind of, you know, makes me hesitate. But at the same time, they I feel like they did an amazing job with the um with uh the uh DC properties on CW. Um specifically the Flash. Um they did drag on certain things, but you know, they were able to create things that I think that the fans were more satisfied with than what, you know, the, the movie studios were creating. So hopefully we get, you know, some similar commitment to the Babylon five series. So we are, we're at the end of our show today. I would like to thank you all for uh, joining us. Um, now all of you are creators so uh as we as we uh sign off let everybody know what you're working on where they can find you um again i'm damian smith aka legendary black lion black lion on instagram and uh, i'm sorry legendary black lion on instagram and tiktok i'm mel you can find me at mel's rebellion or mel's a mel asylum uh, I also host a BIPOC alternative artist show Saturdays at 4 on TikTok. Um, and in my TikTok, you can find a link to my website where you can find my books. And I'm Rod, and you can find me on TikTok at EOSF Podcast. That stands for Ion Sci Fi Podcast. And I'm on Instagram at, at The Seventh Matrix. My Ion Sci-Fi podcast releases new episodes each Monday. It won't be an episode this Monday. I'm on temporary hiatus because of Juneteenth. But every Monday I release new episodes and I'm available on most podcast aggregators. So Apple uh, Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am Nita Painter. You can find me out in the streets where I be acting a fool. Um, because on social media, I'm pretty much just posting my work. So on Facebook, I have my Facebook business page, which is Nita Painter. All I do is post work there. Or uh, we can build a genuine relationship and be friends. We can hear me talk my smack on my personal page. But it's also called Nita Painter. You'll know the difference because one you can add as a friend and the other one you follow. I'm on Instagram at Nita underscore painter underscore same thing for TikTok. And um, again, find me out in San Diego. I'd be talking a whole lot of whole lot of crap at these board meetings. And Sunday is a witness protection, but you can find two dogs <laughs> like Saru in this picture and his brother Jack Jack. They were both named off of, you know, some kind of character in a movie or a tv show <laughs> at casey dang gang on instagram all right well thank you all for very, very much for joining us for i call this episode zero of voices in hyperspace yeah thanks everyone i'm so excited to start uh, our rewatch of babylon 5 <laughs>